This is the Talk of Fame Network, featuring Hall of Fame voters Ron Borges from the Boston Herald, Rick Gosselin of the Dallas Morning News, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge. And now, let the debates begin. Who is a Hall of Famer? Will they be enshrined in Canton? Do they have the numbers to get in? Let the experts who make the decision tell you who will be signing their name with HOF next to it. And now, it's the Talk of Fame Network. Welcome back, everyone, and Rick and Ron. Welcome back from Thanksgiving. I hope you had a better Thanksgiving than the teams you cover, Rick. I know you're in Dallas. Um, what are they thankful for these days there? Well, they're thankful the Carolina Panthers packed up and left the town after Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, Thomas Davis be. hurts Tony Romo. Josh Norman minimizes Des Bryant, and the Panthers left a huge bruise on the ego of Jerry Jones. Well, Ronnie, first loss for your Patriot. I mean, our Patriots. But... <laughs> Uh, I think they at least they've got to be what grateful, thankful, whatever. The news isn't worse for Gronk, right? Yeah, I think to a degree, Clark. That's right, but I'm not quite sure that it's actually quote unquote news is as accurate as some people uh, are speculating about. I don't think anybody really knows uh, the extent of the injury. I did talk to a, a former team doctor there who's quite familiar with Gronkowski, and he told me two things. And he's been a team doctor for a long time, although he no longer is. So I've never seen anybody carted off the field who didn't have a significant injury. And I've yeah. never seen Gronkowski uh, rolling around like that who didn't have a significant injury. So I'm not so sure he's going to be rushing back here in a, in a week or two, the way some are saying. Okay, well, I'll tell you what I am sure of. I'm sure we're going to have another good show here, guys, and I'm thankful for that. We've got former all-decade tackle Tony Baselli coming up. Tony, of course, is one of the 25 semifinalists for the class of 2016. We're also going to have former linebacker Bobby Bell and former tackle Art Shell, both members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, to talk about the Chiefs. Raiders game as our greatest rivalry series continues. Goose going to make his Hall of Fame pitch for Jimmy Johnson, another semifinalist for the class of 2016. And we're going to hear from Hall of Fame voter Jeff Legwald of ESPN on those resurgent Denver Broncos. And let's start there, Goose. We addressed this several weeks ago, but I think we're going to have to address it again, especially now that they've beaten New England. How far can this team go with Brock Osweiler? And is it a legitimate Super Bowl threat? Clark, I remember you asked me that very same question back in 2001 when the Patriots were forced <laughs> to play an inexperienced young quarterback named Tom Brady. Yeah, I remember that. treated Drew Bledsoe. Well, and with a young quarterback, you don't know until they actually get onto the field and have to make the decisions and throws at game speed. That's something you can't do in August. For Osweiler, so far, so good. He was a second-round draft pick, so the Broncos believed he had talent. He's been able to watch Peyton Manning for three seasons. That's a pretty good classroom for a kid to be sitting in. I, I like his chances both short and long term. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Are we comparing Brock Osweiler with Tom Brady? Please. You were Come saying on. that back in 2001. Please. Tom Brady is no <laughs> Drew Bledsoe. This is nuts that you're thinking that. <laughs> okay, Ron. How you have changed your tune. Over I, have changed. It is. Yeah. I have changed the my tune. The worm has turned. He sits here with his number 12 jersey on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Ron, uh, what's going to happen if and when Peyton Manning says, you know what, guys, I'm ready to go. I want to start again. And what happens if he says that if Brock Osweiler continues to win? I mean, question is, who's going to tell him he stays on the bench? Uh, John Elway. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he'll, he'll, be the, you know, he'll be the guy who I think can, and, and I believe he will. If they're winning with Osweiler, they can justify this by say, by continuing to say Manning isn't healthy. And I don't think, could be wrong, 
which, as you guys know, would be unusual. But I uh, could be wrong. Yeah, uh, sure. But it's just, it's just not likely that I don't think that Peyton Manning is going to go on a some kind of sinister public campaign to let people know that he's fit as a fiddle. Right. Uh, he might be mad, but he's not stupid. I mean, uh, if the kid keeps winning, he's going to keep playing. Well, Goose, let's just go to the bottom line here. Are we looking at the end of one era, meaning Peyton Manning, and the beginning of another in Denver? Well, again, the Patriots had no intention of sticking with Brady when he was forced to play in the third week of the 2001 season. He was supposed to keep the seat warm until Bledsoe was healthy again. Well, Brady not only kept the seat warm, he heated it up. The better he played, the better <laughs> the future he gave himself. Bledsoe never did get back in the field. If Osweiler keeps winning, he'll continue to find himself in the field, even if and when Manning returns. Wait a minute. Are we comparing Brock Osweiler with Tom Brady? <laughs> once again. Once again. That's right. Well, I'd say, Clark, that as usual, you're half right uh, in what you said. You know, <laughs> half I think wit, that, you mean. <laughs> I think Peyton's window is, is certainly closing, if not already slammed shut in Denver. I think the best he can hope for is that they ask him to take a pay cut that they know he'll refuse, and then he can sort of gracefully leave however he would like. Uh, but I wouldn't yet say it's time for a parade for Brock uh, Osweiler. Although I did see a kid wearing his jersey, number six, in the airport in Denver. I bet you couldn't find one of those a month ago. That was your son, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's wearing a hockey outfit, trust me. <laughs> Good idea. Well, Bobby I guess my, yeah, that's number four. I like it. Uh, I guess we're going to have to wait on that one, guys. What we won't have to wait on, of course, is our first guest. And as I said, it's our former Jacksonville tackle and Hall of Fame semifinalist, Tony Basella. And he's up next after this. You're going to be listening, and you are listening to the Talk of Fame Network. For over 75 years, Geico's kept an eye on the future, keeping customers happy with things like 24-7 customer support and emergency roadside service. And to prove it, here's one of our commercials from over 75 years ago. At GEICO, we promise to always find innovative new ways to serve you. In fact, we're so innovative, in 75 years, they'll listen to this old radio commercial and think, wow, they were innovative. Wow, we are innovative. GEICO, saving people money for over 75 years. Wendy's presents the story of a bacon cheeseburger that was more than just bacon. I'm ready, coach. Put me in. And who do you think you are, cheese? Bacon? Old Gouda needed was a chance. Cheese finally has its day with Wendy's new Gouda Bacon Cheeseburger. Aged Gouda together with Swiss Gruyere Fondue and the new Bacon Fondue Fries. You did it, Gouda! No, we did it, Bacon. At participating Wendy's for a limited time. Football season is here, and you can catch all the games inside Public House at Luxor Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Come to the ultimate Vegas tailgate party presented by Luxor December 4th, 5th, and 6th. Football fans score big with drink and food specials all weekend long, and a special appearance and chalk talk with the legendary Jerry Rice on Sunday the 6th. Luxor is the place to catch all your football action. Luxor.com, best rate guaranteed. And catch the Talk of Fame show live at the Luxor on Sunday, December 6th. Every single time you cough, a small miracle occurs. You create a cough cloud. Thousands of liquid droplets exit your mouth, shimmering like stars surfing on your breath. If you could see this cloud of saliva, it would be beautiful until it landed on your co-worker Barbara's chin. Or don't get Barbara sick. Take Robitussin DM Max instead. It soothes and delivers fast, powerful cough relief. Robitussin DM Max, because it's never just a cough. Use as directed. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges. Cannot play with him. Rick Gosselin. Cannot win with him. And Clark Judge. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. I want winners. Thank you, Randy. Peace. 
It's just another reminder that Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by GEICO. That's GEICO, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. Our first guest is one of this year's 25 Hall of Fame semifinalists. I'm talking about former Jacksonville tackle Tony Baselli, who was so dominant in the 1990s that he was named to the league's all-decade team. The first-ever pick of the Jags, he wanted to become a five-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, first-ever player in the Jags Hall of Fame, and member of the College Football Hall of Fame. Today, of course, Tony works as a color analyst on the Jags broadcast, coaches high school football with former teammate Mark Brunel, and operates, along with his wife Angie, the Baselli Foundation to promote self-esteem in at-risk use. Tony, first of all, thanks for joining us, and congratulations on making the Hall's list of 25 semifinalists. Uh, Clark, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's a nice honor, and uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a lot of fun for me because it brings back uh, some great memories from uh, the playing days. Well, as I said, you're an all-decade player who, for some reason, I don't know why, but you never made the cut to 25 before this year. How big a deal is that to you, Tony? Um, you know, it, 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 it's a big deal in the sense of it's always, it's nice to be recognized uh, for what you did. And it's been a while since I played, and obviously because my career was cut short, you know, uh, with the shoulder injury and, and uh, being around the game and working for the Jags still and coaching high school football, you know, I'm still around the game a lot, but for this to happen uh, at this time, you know, kind of, it, it's fun because people, you know, start talking about your playing career, uh, playing days again, and uh, and say kind things. So that always feels good. And uh, my family's really excited. My kids were uh, thought it was pretty cool. And uh, so it, it's been fun overall. Tony Clark mentioned a series of accolades for you, but one he didn't mention was the honor McDonald's bestowed on you while you were playing. It was it offered a <laughs> Boselli burger at Jacksonville area restaurants. So what exactly was a Boselli burger, and did you ever have one or two or eight or ten or whatever? Yeah, I had quite a few. And that was actually a pretty cool deal for me because I grew up uh, eating a lot of McDonald's like a lot of kids, but also because my dad uh, was uh, worked at McDonald's and became an owner-operator when I was, you know, in high school and college so having a burger named after me was a pretty cool thing it was it was i don't remember exactly what it was it obviously wasn't very good because it only lasted one year i thought it was great but it was uh three patties like two different kinds of cheeses and uh, all kinds of onions and pickles and tomatoes and everything else so it was it was a big burger but uh i don't think it sold very well because it was only out there one year uh, there, there's been a run of left tackles to the hall lately. Willie Rolfe, Walter Jones, Jonathan Ogden, and soon maybe this year, Orlando Pace. Yet you had to fight just to make it into the semifinals. Do you find that perplexing? Um, you know, I, I guess. I, I I don't try to think about it. I try not to think about it too much because I, I don't have any control over it. And uh, I played the game to the best of my ability. And uh, when I was playing, uh it was, uh, I, you know, I did it at the highest level I possibly could. And, and so after that, it's really not up to me anymore. It's, you know, it's, it's the voters and the different people that kind of look, sit back and judge uh, all of us as players and how we played and whether we deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. So I, I probably, if I thought about it too much, it would probably bother me more, to be honest with you. So I, I guess I just kind of not try to spend too much time thinking about it. Well, Tony, I'm going to ask you to think about it just a little bit more. You're in the same boat <laughs> as another Hall of Fame semifinalist. That's uh, Terrell Davis, who's uh, been on the show before, a Denver running back, of course, whose career was cut short by injury. But we've had some magnificent careers, including yours, cut short 
by those injuries. How much should length of a career, do you think, be a consideration in determining who goes into the hall? Well, listen, I think it's probably one of the factors uh, I'm sure you, you have to look at. But for me, I mean, I, as I look at the Hall of Fame and, and, and as someone who's been a fan of this game since I can remember, is, is, you know, the Hall of Fame to me was always for the, the greatest players who played the game. Uh, the guys who kind of shaped their position and shaped how the game was played and are part of the story of the NFL. And so I think, you know, if you're one of the greatest players at your position and and kind of define the position and people still talk about you when it's related to that position and comparing others to you, uh, I think, I mean, that's what a Hall of Famer is to me. Yes, the length of career, I mean, if you're able to do it for longer, obviously that, you know, puts you at a, uh, uh, you know, maybe in quicker or, you know, first ballot, second ballot, however that works. But I think, you know, for a Hall of Famer for me has always been, you know, it, uh, were you one of the best to ever play your position and how you did it? Well, we're with one of the best players to play his position. That's Hall of Fame semifinalist Tony Baselli on the Talk of Fame Network. And, Tony, uh, I'll preface this by saying this is a loaded question, but I'll ask it anyway. As I mentioned, we have some guys you played against, or as Goose mentioned, uh, in the Hall. Willie Rofe, Walter Jones, Jonathan Ogden, uh, Orlando Paces, he says, on the cusp. In your mind, what did those guys have that you did not? In other words, how do you or did you see yourself versus them? Clark, I hate you for this question. (laughs) (laughs) Don't hang up on me, Tony. (laughs) I won't, I promise. Uh, I I hate, you know, it's it's so hard. I don't like talking about myself much, but in the sense of because, listen, I viewed myself as, you know, when I was playing the position, the best or one of the best. I mean, it was, uh, I felt like when I stepped on the field, I could, you know, I could block anybody. And and not that there wasn't tough days out there because you play against other great players, but uh, as I watched the tape and watched other people play, I felt like I was, you know, if not the best, one of the best of what I did. And uh, fortunately, I was honored by my peers like that. I was honored by the writers as, you know, three-time All-Pro. And I was uh, honored by the, the alumni as the Offensive Lineman of the Year a couple times. So, uh, and we all of us played together, the guys you mentioned, and I kind of I, I respected their games. I thought those guys were great players, you know, you know Jonathan Ogden and Willie Rofe, and, and the, I mean, and Walter uh, Jones, the guys who were in the Hall of Fame, were great players. And uh, but I felt like you know when I played, I was right there with them. Tony, how difficult is it to play a position where there are no stats, and when you are pointed out, it's negative holding number seventy-one. I thought, you know, I think, you know, obviously quarterback's the hardest position to play on in the game of football from a mental and uh, physical standpoint. But after that, I, I always thought, you know, uh, a cover corner, a man cover corner, and a, a left tackle, right tackle are the two hardest positions. Uh, you know, you look at what you're asked to do as a left tackle. You're playing against guys who, you know, are usually the best pass rusher on the field. Uh, they're better athletes than you. And, you're going to block them for, you know, 60 to 70 snaps. And all anyone's going to remember is the one time you messed up or the one mistake you made. They're not going to, and the, the guy's going to probably end up dancing the one time he does beat you, <laughs> if he does. <laughs> uh, but for the other, you know, for the other 60 to, you know, 65 snaps, when you're blocking them and doing your job and dominating, no one really cares and no one's thinking about it. So it was a great challenge, I thought. And a great mental challenge of how you approach the game and your mindset of really having to go out there for, you know, 60 to 70 snaps and, and win every snap 
if you wanted to be considered uh, a high level a high level player. Tony, you would have gotten tired if you had to dance sixty four times when you stopped the guy. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of times I'll tell you. There's a number of times I figured, you know, going into the game, I'm gonna every time I block the guy and knock him down, I'm gonna start dancing over him because he's gonna <laughs> dance one time if he if he makes a tackle, but. You know, I, I tried not to do that because I figured, you know, maybe the best thing is just not to draw too much attention to myself. Just go do my job and uh, try to get a get a win. Okay, speaking of dancers, who who's the best guy, or the toughest guy you had to block either in pass pro or in the run? Yeah, you know, for me, uh, the toughest game I ever had and toughest night I ever had was against John Randall, Hall of Famer. Uh, it was the year he's out playing defensive end. I think he had like 15 sacks that year, some number. And uh, he was a great player, great defensive tackle and defensive end. And we were playing up there. It was very loud. Uh, they were 15-1. They were a great team. And uh, because of the stature of Randall, I mean, he's not real tall. And I'm a tall guy, and he's quick, powerful. And I just, I never felt like I was in control. It was probably the only – I think it was the only game I ever played in the NFL where I didn't feel like I was in control of the guy I was blocking. And uh, he was just – you know, he was a great player, and uh, he had a good night, and it was not one of my best nights. Speaking of uh, working on pass protection, Tony, what's more difficult, protecting Brunel or working as his assistant coach at the Episcopal School of Jacksonville? Oh, gosh. You know, you know, blocking for him was always difficult because he never knew the heck where he was going to be. He was all <laughs> over the dang place, so that was hard. And <laughs> but definitely working for him. <laughs> uh, they both have their pluses and minuses. Both are a lot of fun, but both will give you a headache sometimes. You've got a couple of kids playing for him, right? Yeah, I have two boys. Uh, one just graduated uh, this year. He's a, he's an offensive uh, lineman. He's going to Florida State as an early enrollee here in four weeks. So I'll have my first kid going off to college, and I have a another one who's a junior in high school, and uh, he's a tight end linebacker. And he's a good player, and he wants to play college football too. So I I, I love the game of football. I love coaching. I love playing it. Just the competitive nature of it. There's not a, in my opinion, a better game on this earth, so it's, it was a lot of fun watching and participating and coaching with my boys. Tony, how, how exhilarating was it to go to the AFC Championship game in your second season, the second season of the franchise? I mean, it had to be such a rush. Yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing run, uh, both for a team and, and personally. You know, it was really, you know, as a team getting into the playoffs and beating Buffalo on the road, no one had ever beaten them, and the great Hall of Famers they had on that team with Bruce Smith and Thurman Thomas and, you know, Jim Kelly and the rest. I mean, there's a great team. Uh, and then going to Denver and beating the best team in the NFL that year, record-wise and how everyone viewed them. Uh, those were two amazing opportunities and, and, and to play against those great players and great teams and the windows and getting to the AFC title game. The only regret I probably have is I was such a young player, I don't think I, I appreciated it as much. You know, you don't realize how hard it is to get to that spot. And I remember even after the game, I was disappointed we lost because I felt like we should have beat the Patriots. You know, we had some bad mistakes and uh, some turnovers and stuff, and we ended up losing a close game. But, you know, uh, at the same time, I remember thinking, like, well, it's my second year. We got here. I mean, we're going to be right back and have a bunch of opportunities to do this. And, and you realize quickly it's not that easy. Even though we got into the playoffs and made some nice runs, it was just it, it's very difficult to, you know, get to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. And it's one of the regrets I have from the standpoint of not being able to experience it. You know, it's uh, that's what we all play the game for, and that's what, you know, is to win a championship. Tony, I'll tell you, one of the regrets we have, we're out of time. I know you've got to run, <laughs> but so do we. Hey, Tony, thanks for the time. 
Thanks very much, and best of luck with your Hall of Fame candidacy. Hey, I appreciate it, guys, and uh, thanks for having me, and I'll come on anytime. You got it. Thanks, Tony. That was former tackle Tony Baselli. When we return, we'll talk more about this year's semifinalists and the guys we wish had been included. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by MyCleanPC.com. If your computer runs slowly, and whose computer doesn't, just go to MyCleanPC.com for a free diagnosis. And within minutes, you can download software to cure what may be ailing your PC. That's MyCleanPC.com. Talk of Fame Network is also brought to you by Geico Insurance, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, president of Quicken Loans. Call Quicken Loans now to see if you qualify for the government's Home Affordable Refinance Program, or HARP. And for six years in a row now, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction. And for the second year in a row, they've also ranked us highest in mortgage servicing. Call 800-QUICKEN or visit quickenloans.com. Visit jdpower.com for award information. Call for cost information and conditions. Equalizing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Little Caesars Premium Detroit-style deep, deep dish pizza with more cheese and pepperoni is our most premium pizza experience. And now it's even more premium. Just call 1-855-TALK-DEEP and we'll compliment you while you eat it. This premium treatment isn't just for eccentric billionaires. It's for you with your shiny hair and very kind eyes. That one's on us. Pick up our premium deep, deep dish pizza for just 8 bucks and call 1-855-TALK-DEEP. Hot and ready 4 to 8. Or order anytime, you cool rebel. Only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax. Hi, Tom Bodette. Apparently, it's not enough to go on a weekend jog. Nowadays, so-called fun runs have barbed wire, mud bogs, and flaming hoops. Can poison blow darts be far behind? But Motel 6 is a safe stop in the long or short run. Always a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price of any national chain. Book online at motel6.com. I'm Tom Bodette, and we'll leave the light on for you. Ow, was that a blow? Hi, I'm Bruce Fabrizio, inventor of Simple Green. Like you, I'm a big sports enthusiast, and I want my gear to shine like new. That's why it's clean with Simple Green the concentrated cleaner that's perfect for making your auto, RV, cycling, boating, and other sporting equipment look like new again. Try it today. If you're not 100% satisfied, I'll give you your money back. Visit us at simplegreen.com. Simple Green, Simple Green. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and Clark Judge. This is another reminder. The Talk of Fame Network is brought to you each week by MyCleanPC. If your computer's running slowly, let's face it, whose isn't? Just log on to MyCleanPC.com, and within minutes, you can download software to clean up what may be slowing it down. That's MyCleanPC.com. And speaking of reminders, guys, we're taking this show to the Luxor Hotel in Las Vegas on Sunday, this Sunday, December 6th, where we're going to be with Hall of Fame receiver Jerry Rice. Jerry's going to be doing a chalk talk for the Bears 49ers game from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. at the Luxor Public House. Too bad he's not playing for the 49ers, but he'll be there. And if you're in the neighborhood, stop by and join us. Guys, it was good to have Tony Baselli stop by and join us. Rick, I'm not sure why it took him so long to break through as a semifinalist, as we said before. But as we also said before, he's an all-decade player. I mean, a dominant left tackle, and I think he made it pretty clear he thinks he was as good as there was, and he really was. But what I am sure of is that you had a great idea last week. Yes, a great one that I'd like to revisit, and it concerns all decade choices, many of whom have been waiting on the hall in Canton for years. So you want to go back and revisit that, please? 
Yeah, Clark, the Hall of Fame selection committee picks the all-decade team at the end of each decade. Those players are stamped as the best players of their generation. And if you're considered one of the best players of your generation, you deserve to be discussed as one of the best players of all time. But after a player retires, he must wait five years before he becomes eligible for the Hall. So the greatness of a player can be forgotten, especially if he didn't play a skill position such as Tony Baselli. There are 57 all-decade players from the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and 90s who are eligible for the Hall but are not in. 48 of them have never even been discussed as finalists. I propose that any player who makes an all-decade team become an automatic semifinalist in his first year of eligibility. That would give all those great players a fighting chance to be recognized. Too many of them have been forgotten and fallen through the cracks, and that's dead wrong. I like it. How about you, Ronnie? Yeah, no, I do. I, th- I think what works against it is that it makes sense. Uh, you know, the Hall of Fame board uh, moves uh, on changes with the speed of the Earth's rotation. Uh, You know, an all-decade player certainly deserves uh, at least one airing, and I think that would be a good way to to perhaps get that to happen. But uh, I like the idea. Selling it will be the hard part. Yeah, right. Goose? Well, I see. Ten of of those all-decade players who have never been discussed have been offensive linemen. They have no stats. When they slip through the cracks, they're almost always irretrievable. So a Baselli, a Jimbo Colvert, Ralph Neely and Bill Freilich disappear from the Hall of Fame radar. And again, that's wrong. They deserved to have their cases discussed and analyzed and scrutinized just as any skilled player does. Okay, well, as I mentioned, the 25 semifinalists, as we mentioned last week, in the Hall's class of 2016, and they were voted on by the Board of Selectors. Uh, three of us are among the 46 selectors. And we talked again last week about surprises and long shots in that group. But we spoke only of guys on the list. So what I'd like to address here are guys who are not, you know, the, the players or coaches who are ignored. Ron, I'm going to start with you because I know this guy is near and dear to your heart, former Oakland quarterback and coach Tom Flores. Yeah, I mean, two Super Bowl wins, the uh, first uh, Latino head coach in NFL history, first Latino starting quarterback in AFL history. That ought to get you a, a weekend in Canton in August. <laughs> uh, you know, in my mind, that's an historic uh, figure who changed the game. Uh, listen to that music. Uh, it Tom gets you the theme music is what it, it gets does. you, Ron. My heart is just it's pumping like crazy. Uh, <laughs> look, his historical significance is clear. He's got a ton of uh, Super Bowl rings, from, uh, both as a player, assistant coach, and, a, and as a head coach. And I think that the Hall would be wise to uh, honor the trailblazers like uh, Tom Flores. Goose, you have yeah, someone I've off got, the uh, list you want to include? Yeah, safety, any safety. Darren Woodson, Joey Bronner, Deron Cherry, Nolan Cromwell. We have Lynch and Atwater on the ballot. I wish there were more at the most overlooked position in Canton. The more safeties you have in the ballot, the better chance one of them gets in, and one of them needs to get in sometime in the next decade. It's been 30 years since we had one. Who would be at the top of that list, Goose? Pick a decade, all-decade safety. There are nine all-decade safeties not in. Pick one, anyone. They all deserve to be considered. None of them have been discussed. Okay. You know, well, Kenny, Kenny Easley, obviously, is the guy, but he's, he's in the senior poll now. Yeah, Steve Atwater is one of the semifinalists, yeah. and, and he's an all-decade safety, so maybe Steve Atwater. I, I know we had Ira Kaufman, who's a Hall of Fame voter, and he's also with the Tampa Tribune. We had him on here last week, and, and he was disappointed that Simeon Rice, who played with the Bucks, also played with the Cards, but he was disappointed he wasn't included, and, and I understand that. But I, I'm going to go with another pass rusher here, and that's Leslie O'Neill. He played for San Good Diego. Pick. Played, <laughs> yes, played for San Diego, played for Kansas City, and Ron... <laughs> This is the thing I don't get. He had more sacks than Rice. In fact, he had as many as Lawrence Taylor, LT, and he missed a year and a half in the primary career because of a terrible knee injury. But 
What I don't get is he wasn't included on the list of candidates, just the list of candidates until this year, which to me absolutely made no sense. Uh, all I know, it is 132 and a half sacks. That's how many he had in his career. It ranks 12th in NFL history, which goes, it should count for something. And I think at the very least, it should count for a position as a semifinalist. Okay, slow down. Carl Banks and Robert Brazil were all decade outside linebackers who have never been semifinalists. Their candidacies deserve to be discussed. Harvey Martin and Neil Smith were all decade pass rushers who have never been semifinalists. Neither Rice nor O'Neill was an all decade selection. Why are they more worthy of discussion than a Banks, Brazil, Martin or Smith? We can all cherry pick a candidate or two. You've got O'Neill, Kaufman as Rice, I have Harvey Martin. All are worthy, all deserve to be discussed. I would just say this, guys, especially the Goose. You ever see Leslie O'Neill play? If you saw him play, you ever man. see I Carl mean, Banks play? Right. Yeah, I saw him you play. You ever see Robert Brazil play? Yeah. You ever that. see Harvey Martin play? <laughs> yeah, I did. Okay. I did. And, I mean, and, I... And, and Leslie O'Neill is as good as any of them. Probably Leslie O'Neill, he just didn't make a lot of, I don't know why, but I guess he didn't make a lot of friends. because. Yeah, he, that's uh, right. That's he right. He's an outspoken guy. I always liked him, actually. But, Goose, that's why I like your idea of the uh, all decade players being semifinals. I think it's a great idea. Hey, listen, quick question for you before we get on with Goose. Uh, we talked about the process here, and we talked about potential oversights. Let's combine the two. Uh, Goose, I'll ask you quickly. The Hall's changed the process slightly in the future with the possibility of Hall of Famers serving as at-large voters in place of persons who can't make it. Like it or loathe it? Oh, I'm against it. Um, if you want, just give give all the old players, give all the Hall of Famers the vote. If you want the media out, if you want to go with the players, give them the whole thing. If not, keep it this way. We're going to keep it this way because we've got our Hall of Famer, Rick Goslin. And Rick, I think you're locked and loaded with this week's Dr. Dad. At least that's what I've been told because someone said to me, yeah, Goose, he's here to tell you why it's okay to be average. Oh, wait a minute. No, he's here to tell you why in some cases it's okay to be below average. Yeah, I remember <laughs> when the NFC East ruled the football world? The Cowboys yep. went to five Super Bowls in the 70s. The Reds that was a long time ago. Three Super Bowls in the 80s. The Cowboys went to three more in the 1990s. The Redskins won three Super Bowls under Joe Gibbs. The Giants won two under Bill Parcells. The Cowboys won two under Jimmy Johnson. From 1990 to 93, three different NFC East teams won four consecutive Super Bowls. The Giants in 90, Redskins 91, the Cowboys 92, 93. There are more competitive games being played each week in the NFC East than there were in Super Bowls. Not anymore. Nope. Not by a long shot. The NFC East is now the worst division in football. <laughs> Washington enters December with a 5-6 and six record, and the Redskins are in first place. Ugh. There's a good chance an 8-8 eight and eight record wins the divisions. It wins the division, and don't rule out 7-9. and nine. The Cowboys are a woeful 3-8. and eight. They've won one of their last eight games without their quarterback and still consider themselves in playoff contention in the division. 3-8. and eight. Only How about those Cowboys? Are- <laughs> Only four teams in the history of the 16-game schedule have qualified for the playoffs with eight losses. The Browns in 1995, the Chargers in 2008, Broncos in 2011, and Panthers in 2014. All saw their seasons come to a crashing end in the conference semifinals. Only one team qualified for the playoffs with nine losses, the 2010 Seattle Seahawks, who also lost in the conference semis. So mediocrity does have its rewards. Set another place at the table, boys. The NFC East champ is about to join you. Ugh, that is painful. 
to, to, to recognize <laughs> that. God, uh, what I'm wondering, Goose, is is the NFC least, as I call them, uh, is this a sign of the coming times of of growing mediocrity? You know, and the AFC South, Houston and India, tied at six and five. They could stagger around there uh, and also end up with a losing record and, and get in. Jacksonville still in it at four and seven. Is this what we have to look forward to? Mediocre football at the top, not only the bottom, but now at the top of these divisions. Yeah, when the NFC was rolling, East Road, you had Joe Gibbs, Bill Parcells, Jimmy Johnson, and even Buddy Ryan. You know, now look at your coaches. And back then, you had you had great quarterbacking. You know, Phil Simms and you know Randall Cunningham was an MVP. Troy Aikman, and now look at the quarterbacking. I mean, you have the the, the free agency salary cap parity is just neutered this division. Hey, Goose, does this mean you're in favor of the Borges rule and that's seeding for the playoffs, not based Excellent on? Excellent idea. Yeah, not based on division, uh, winning a division, but based on record? Well, if you like empty seats in your stadiums, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> because if you're not competing for division titles, that's the only thing most teams are competing for, division titles. There are about probably four legitimate Super Bowl contenders. No, I, I, I'm against it because uh, you'd empty out the stadiums. And empty yeah, seats so- in Kansas City, though, over the weekend, and they have, and they have a team that's going to win the division. So Okay. I'll tell you what I'm all for, guys. Going to commercial because that's what we're going to do. When we come back, it's Jimmy Johnson and why he should be in the hall. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Talk of Fame Network is also brought to you by Geico Insurance, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. Football season is here, and you can catch all the games inside Public House at Luxor Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Come to the ultimate Vegas tailgate party presented by Luxor December 4th, 5th, and 6th. Football fans score big with drink and food specials all weekend long and a special appearance and chalk talk with the legendary Jerry Rice on Sunday the 6th. Luxor is the place to catch all your football action. Luxor.com, best rate guarantee. And catch the Talk of Fame show live at the Luxor on Sunday, December 6th. If your computer is running slow, go to MyCleanPC.com and get a free computer diagnosis. In minutes, you can activate MyCleanPC software to clean out the junk that may be slowing down your computer. Increase your computer speed today with MyCleanPC.com. That's MyCleanPC.com. Want clearer skin? For just $19.95, get proactive. And a rotating deep cleansing brush, a $45 value free. Get clear and stay clear, or your money back. Try proactive. Call 1-800-644-5944. 1-800-644-5944. Every single time you cough, a small miracle occurs. You create a cough cloud. Thousands of liquid droplets exit your mouth, shimmering like stars surfing on your breath. If you could see this cloud of saliva, it would be beautiful until it landed on your co-worker Barbara's chin. Or don't get Barbara sick. Take Robitussin DM Max instead. It soothes and delivers fast, powerful cough relief. Robitussin DM Max, because it's never just a cough. Use as directed. Wendy's presents the story of a bacon cheeseburger that was more than just bacon. I'm ready, coach. Put me in. And who do you think you are, cheese? Bacon? Old Gouda needed was a chance. Way to go, Gouda! Cheese finally has its day with Wendy's new Gouda bacon cheeseburger. Aged Gouda together with Swiss Gruyere fondue and the new bacon fondue fries. You did it, Gouda. No, we did it, bacon. At participating Wendy's for a limited time. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Gosselin, and Hall of Fame host Clark Judge. They are who we thought they were. I want to mention again that we're on the road this Sunday. We're going to be in Las Vegas at the Luxor Hotel where Jerry Rice, had Jerry Rice Hall of Famer, 
going to be in the house doing a chalk talk for the Bears 49ers game. Jerry's going to be at the Luxor Public House from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. And guess what? We're going to be there, too. So stop by and say hello. But before you do, hey, make sure to check out MyCleanPC if your computer runs slowly. Just log on to MyCleanPC.com for a free diagnosis. And within minutes, you can download software that will clean up what may be slowing it down. That's MyCleanPC.com. And Ronnie, nothing's slowing down Matt Hasselbeck. Let's hear it for the 40-year-olds. You got that right. Got that right. Uh, he's making three million a year, so it means he's won four games at seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a piece. What a bargain compared to that other guy they got there, Andrew Out of Luck. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, they told him this week, uh, uh, guys, that uh, when Luck returns to health from this kidney injury, he's lost a job. But the guy who told him that, Chuck Pagano, just had his job saved probably by Matt Hasselbeck. Yeah, There's loyalty right. for you. So what's right. the Earl moral of this of this story? Get it, moral of this story. Respect was, your elders was, and get off our lawn. Yeah, that, was, that was good. That was good, Ron. <laughs> Matt Hasselbeck's not going to the hall, but he's in our 2015 hall for reminding us. Yeah, younger's not necessarily better. That's good, guys. Um, I mean, he's going so well that his, Ron's right. He, he's basically saving Chuck Pagano's job for the time being, at least. But now we have Chuck telling us that Andrew Luck doesn't return until, quote, he's 100% healthy, which basically means, Matt, ball's yours. Yeah, why not? Hasselbeck's done something Andrew Luck has never done. He's taken a team to a Super Bowl. The guy knows how to win. He's not going to go out there for 16 weeks and win 12 times, but you give him a five, six, or seven-game window, he's going to win his share. A former Spartan friend of Ron Earl Morrill played into his 40s as that same sort of insurance policy. Yeah, I knew we'd get the Spartans in here. Anyway, way to go, Matt. And speaking of guys getting older, Derek, strike up the band again because, yep, Birthdays, we got him here to celebrate on Thursday, December 3. One of my favorite players and someone who's deserving, I think, of Hall of Fame consideration. Defensive back Bobby Boyd turns 78. One day later, December 4th, one of Ron's favorite players, former New England wide receiver yes, Randy Pataha. Randy Pataha, yes, sir. He turns 67. And appropriately, Ron, December 5th, a day later, one of Randy's favorite teammates at Stanford and at New England, Quarterback Jim Plunkett also turns 67, while on the same day, Hall of Fame receiver Art Monk turns 58. And then on December 6th, Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, turns 13. I'm sorry, turns 23. Just acts <laughs> like he's 13. And, and one day later, December 8th, 2015, Hall of Fame inductee Bill Polian, who's also a friend of the show, turns 73. Clark, you mentioned five NFL players celebrating birthdays this week, and you forgot the very best one, the late Otto Graham. He was born December 6th. You take a franchise, any franchise, to 10 consecutive title games as Graham did, you deserve to have your birthday recognized. <laughs> That's a good one. Well, guys, the NFL is about field generals, right? Both good and bad. So I'm going to wish a warm and happy <laughs> birthday greeting to one of the worst Union generals of the Civil War, General George McClellan. You guys uh, remember him. Uh, you remember him well, don't you? Like more than a few NFL coaches. He was relieved of his duty by Abraham Lincoln after he refused to chase Robert E. Lee into Virginia after the Battle of Antietam, a battle he technically won, but in reality, he didn't get the trophy. He got the boot. <laughs> General McClellan, ever, see ya. You ever been to Antietam? Yeah. Pretty yeah, interesting place. It's a great place. place. It, it's, a, it's a great place. Pristine Too bad McClellan anyway. wasn't there. 
<laughs> hey, congratulations to everyone. We're not going to chase you either. But, Goose, I, I know you have something to chase here, and that's Jimmy Johnson. You want to chase him into Canton. Uh, so you wrote about him this week on our website, which is talkoffamenetwork.com, and in that piece you promoted him for the Hall. Jimmy, of course, is one of this year's 25 semifinalists, as he was last year. So if you can, Goose... Tell us why you think he belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, Jimmy Johnson is listed as a coach on the Pro Football Hall of Fame ballot, but that short changes both Johnson and his candidacy for Canton. As someone who was there from the beginning, I can tell you he was much more than that to the Cowboys. He not only coached the Cowboys championships, he built them into champions. In the 42 years I've been covering the NFL, he's the best head coach I've ever seen at personnel, both in talent evaluation and player procurement. Coming from the University of Miami, Jimmy knew and recruited the bluest of blue-chip players. He was in the homes of Troy Aikman and Russell Maryland. He recruited Emmett Smith, Mark Stepnoski, and Daryl Johnson so he could identify greatness. In his five NFL drafts with the Cowboys, Johnson selected 18 players who would start in Super Bowls and 15 who would become Pro Bowlers. He also drafted three different players who would become Super Bowl MVPs and, to date, two Hall of Famers. Johnson won two Super Bowls before leaving after the 93 season in a dispute with owner Jerry Jones. And he returned to the sideline in 1996 at Miami, coached there for four seasons, and took them to the playoffs each of his final three years. His championship touch may have been gone by the time he got to Miami, but not his personnel wizardry. He drafted four players to the Dolphins who had gone to, to a combined 19 Pro Bowls, and not one of them was a first-round draft pick. Zach Thomas, Sam Madison, Jason Taylor, and Patrick Sertain. This is Jimmy's 17th year of eligibility and third time as a semifinalist, bidding to reach the finals for the third consecutive year. What he did coaching a two-time Super Bowl champion should be his ticket to the finals, but what he did building the NFL's team of the decade in the 1990s makes him worthy of a Boston Canton. Well, it's interesting. Uh, uh, certainly what he did in Dallas was was tremendous. But uh, And you point out some of the guys he drafted, Miami Goose. But he had Dan Marino, and he still didn't succeed in the way it's, it seems to have to, to to get into the Hall of Fame. So uh, how do we explain away what went on in, in Miami? Okay, first off, I know you champion the Hall of Fame candidacy of Tom Flores. You yes. tell us to ignore that 14-34 and 34 record in his final three seasons as head coach of Seattle. I do. But you want to hold Johnson 36 and 28 record at Miami against him? I Can't do. Have I'm going to run for ways. president. I don't have Can't to be consistent. have it both ways, Ron. And secondly, <laughs> the Dan Marino Johnson coach in the late 1990s wasn't the same Marino Don Shula coach in the mid 80s. Shula couldn't win with Marino, Marino in his prime. Jimmy got Marino when his career was on fumes. Only once did he throw as many as 20 touchdowns in Johnson's four years. If you want to keep Johnson out of Canton because he couldn't win with Marino, then take Shula out. He couldn't win either with a better Dan Marino. Wow. Man, the dude out. was loaded, oh locked, God. and loaded. Oh Dr. Data firing BBs at Borges. down, Goose. I thought we were friends, bro. <laughs> Jesus, excuse me while I go get hosed down. My goodness. What a beating. <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's the signal. I, I went into I a think I heard a signal. Be no rebuttal. I feel like Mike Tyson's sparring partners. Like, oh, I'm dying. I'm dying. I think I heard a signal, Ronnie. And it's a two-minute warning. So it means we're nearly out of time, which also means the two-minute drill. Goose, settle down. You're calling the shots this week, okay? Uh, Pack yourself a nice. Let's get started. How many injuries do teammates will take to make Tom Brady an average quarterback? 21. <laughs> One. His own. 
<laughs> Melvin Gordon scored 29 touchdowns in 14 games with Wisconsin last season. He has none in 11 games with the Chargers. Are the end zones bigger in college than in the NFL? Nope. The Wisconsin linemen are bigger than they are in San Diego, and they're better, too. <laughs> we, we half agree. Nope. They're just farther from San Diego. Finish the sentence. Kirk Cousins is the best Redskins quarterback since? RG3. Not Sammy Baugh. Maybe Jason Campbell. <laughs> Speaking of Michigan State quarterbacks, can the Texans win the AFC South with Spartan Brian Hoyer at the Yeah, position? they could, but they won't. They would win the AFC South with Spartacus himself, Kirk Douglas. <laughs> Kit Carson, Carson Palmer, or Jim Palmer? Johnny Carson. Ooh, good one. Kit Carson. He always knew where he was headed. <laughs> How is Aaron Rodgers spelling relax these days? WTF. <laughs> Ouch. M-U-N-N. Olivia Munn. If you're an NFL team in need of a running back, which one do you prefer in this draft? Ezekiel Elliott of Ohio State or a Derrick Henry of Alabama? Henry. I like Derrick, not the domino. <laughs> Elliott. Most of Alabama's running backs are well used up by the time Nick Saban gets done with them. Good point. Are you buying or selling Brock Osweiler? Selling. We're anointing the guy too soon. Renting with an option to buy. Ooh. Interim coach Dan Campbell of the Dolphins has now fired both the offensive and defensive coordinators he inherited from Joel Philbin. Who's next? Dan Campbell. Yeah, that would be he. Would the NFL be a better game without officials? No, because that's what's happening now, Goose. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like UFC. Imagine the Raider Charger rivalry then. Which player suffered the most damaging injury to an NFL team this season? That would be your Tony Romo. If the Cowboys won just two of those seven games, Goose, they'd be in first place. Wrong. Brandon Whedon. Because Romo got hurt, he got fired. <laughs> <laughs> where, do you, where do you put Gronkowski in there? <laughs> He'll be back. That's the end of the first half. But don't go anywhere. Like most good coaches, we'll make halftime adjustments and return with Hall of Famers Bobby Bell and Art Shell, Chiefs Ravers rivalry, and ESPN's Jeff Legwald on, yeah. The Denver Broncos. This is the Talk of Fame Network. Hi, Tom Bodette. These days, the internet is full of quizzes to find out what kind of fruit you are or what movie character you're most like or what state you belong in. Well, take it from this tangerine space cop who apparently belongs in Alaska. You won't find any quizzes at motel6.com. Just lots of clean, comfortable rooms for the lowest price of any national chain. Now, let's see. Am I more like a mild Swiss or a smoked Gouda? Well, I'm Tom Bodette from Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. Little Caesars Premium Detroit-style deep, deep dish pizza with more cheese and pepperoni is our most premium pizza experience. And now it's even more premium. Just call 1-855-TALK-DEEP and we'll compliment you while you eat it. This premium treatment isn't just for eccentric billionaires. It's for you with your shiny hair and very kind eyes. That one's on us. Pick up our premium deep, deep dish pizza for just 8 bucks and call 1-855-TALK-DEEP. Hot and ready 4 to 8 or order anytime, you cool rebel. Only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge. Talk of Fame Network's brought to you by My Clean PC. If your computer runs slowly, 
Log on to MyCleanPC.com, and within minutes, you can download software to clean up what may be slowing it down. That's MyCleanPC.com. And, guys, I can promise you this, promise our listeners this, we're not going to slow down because this is our number two of the Talk of Fame Network. And coming up, we're going to be talking to Hall of Famers Bobby Bell and Art Shell about the Chiefs and Raiders as our greatest NFL rivalry series continues. And we're going to be checking in with Hall of Fame voter Jeff Legwald of ESPN.com and get his take I'm Peyton Manning, Brock Osweiler, and what's going on with those Denver Broncos. But first, we have another anniversary to recognize. We talked about birthdays before the break. We have an anniversary now. It was on December 3rd, 1960, that Camelot opened on Broadway. Yes, Camelot. And it wasn't long afterwards that became, that's right, Camelot, a synonym associated with the presidency of John F. Kennedy Jr. Now, 55 years later, we celebrate the musical's opening by asking... If the government could hijack it, can we apply Camelot to anything in the NFL? Can we? I think the answer is yes, we can. In fact, I'd like to nominate the nearly two-decade reign of those San Francisco 49ers in the 1980s and 1990s. They had an NFL best record or streak of 16 straight seasons with 10 or more victories. They won 18 games in a row. They won 18 road games in a row. They won seven straight playoff games and five Super Bowls. They had Hall of Famers in Joe Montana, Ronnie Lott, Jerry Rice, Steve Young. And they were the model franchise others, including Goose's Cowboys. And Richard Burton there singing Camelot tried to emulate. But most important, they galvanized the Bay Area, guys. Ron, you lived out there at that time. They yeah, galvanized it. They did. Uh, tickets for home games, they were like <laughs> Ron Borges' appearances at Bill Belichick tailgate parties. Right. Rare. Shibley for three. <laughs> Montana, Lot, Dwight Clark, they took on rock star status. And Eddie D, he's a contributor candidate for the class of 2016. That's Eddie DeBarlo. He became the savior for a franchise to become one of the league's bottom feeders before his arrival. The 49ers, Goose, not Dallas, were America's team. Bottom line here, guys, it's a magical time to be in the Bay Area. And as Richard Burton's singing there, in short, there's simply not a more congenial spot for a happy ever aftering than here with Ronnie Lott. Clark, you on Camelot? I'll go with the 18-year career of Peyton Manning. Week in and week out, we were blessed to watch one of the best craftsmen ever to play the quarterback position. He passed for more yards and more touchdowns than any quarterback in history. Uh, won the league MVP honors a record five times, went to 14 Pro Bowls, and won three NFL passing titles. He took two different franchises to the Super Bowl, and authored the greatest season ever by an NFL quarterback when he set records with his 5,400 yards and 55 touchdowns in 2013 at the age of 37. He also engineered one of the greatest comebacks I've ever seen when he rallied the Colts for a 35-14 deficit in the final four minutes of regulation for a 38-35 overtime victory in Tony Dungy's return to Tampa in 2002. Manning passed for 133 yards in those final frantic four minutes of regulation. Frankly, Manning had a better grip in his kingdom than King Arthur. Plus, Goose, he got his Papa John's pizzas at the Super Bowls. Nice. He did. Came through for it. That's right. Well, for me, uh, it harkens back to the uh, 1970s uh, with the Oakland Raiders, back when uh, uh, guys who did our job as journalists. No music? No music? Uh, <laughs> that's Please. When, when no we more got the, music. But, but there this, we oh, go. Oh, take there, it away, now there, take it away. Now there's Camelot, baby, right there. <laughs> Richard Burton will be singing that song soon. But, but that was a better time, in my mind, for uh, not only the game, uh, the way it was played, 
which was viciously, but also for uh, writers who covered it, as we all did. We actually got to know these guys, sit down with these guys, get a phone call in your room at training camp one night from John Matuzak being told, you got to get over to Snake's room, man, it's happening. Come over there at 1 in the morning, and there's the famous San Francisco stripper, Carol Dota. <laughs> I don't need to have to say any more, do I, fellas? I mean, that's when it was fun. I remember uh, Snake throwing, uh, I think it was five picks, seven picks against the Broncos one time after the game. Nobody had to beg him to go to the podium. He sat there and talked forever. And when I finally said to him, why'd you keep throwing all those picks? He said, because they were all open. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was just fun. It was fun. It was hey, less Ryan, was, money, he, was he, more fun. Was he smoking a cigarette at the podium? No, but Jack Tatum was smoking cigarettes in the locker room. The first time I saw that, I was shocked. I like, this guy's a professional athlete. He's sucking on the cigs. Hey, Ronnie, quick question for you. Because yes. Goose mentioned Peyton Manning. Is there anything else that qualifies today? I mean, certainly not the NFL office. Anything that you can think of that qualifies today? Ooh, besides our uh, show? Yeah, besides well, our show. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, the the, the reign of the Patriots, which is there not like the one you described in, in San Francisco. I mean, uh, you know, since Bob Kraft bought the team 21 years ago, the team he bought the previous five years had been 19-61, and 61, a 238 winning percentage. Since then, they've won four Super Bowls, seven AFC titles. This will be their 15th conference title in 21 years, and they have a winning percentage of nearly 700, so pretty good. And they have the greatest quarterback in the game. Let's stop right there and go to a break. Coming up, former Kansas City linebacker Bobby Bell and the Chiefs-Raiders rivalry. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Little Caesars premium Detroit-style deep, deep dish pizza with more cheese and pepperoni is our most premium pizza experience. And now it's even more premium. Just call 1-855-TALK-DEEP and we'll compliment you while you eat it. This premium treatment isn't just for eccentric billionaires, it's for you. With your shiny hair and very kind eyes, that one's on us. Pick up our premium deep, deep dish pizza for just 8 bucks and call 1-855-TALK-DEEP. Hot and ready 4 to 8 or order anytime, you cool rebel. Only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax. Hi, Tom Bodette. Apparently, it's not enough to go on a weekend jog. Nowadays, so-called fun runs have barbed wire, mud bogs, and flaming hoops. Can poison blow darts be far behind? But Motel 6 is a safe stop in the long or short run. Always a clean, comfortable room for the lowest price of any national chain. Book online at motel6.com. I'm Tom Bodette, and we'll leave the light on for you. Ow, was that a blow? When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy for you to create your stunning website. Go to Wix.com and create your website today. It's easy and free. That's Wix.com. Football season is here, and you can catch all the games inside Public House at Luxor Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Come to the ultimate Vegas tailgate party presented by Luxor December 4th, 5th, and 6th. Football fans score big with drink and food specials all weekend long and a special appearance and chalk talk with the legendary Jerry Rice on Sunday the 6th. Luxor is the place to catch all your football action. Luxor.com, best rate guarantee. And catch the Talk of Fame show live at the Luxor on Sunday, December 6th. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network. Well, this is another reminder that the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you each week by GEICO. That's GEICO, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Our next guest was one of the greatest athletes to play in the NFL. Bobby Bell was an all-state quarterback in high school in North Carolina, an Outland Trophy winning defensive end at the University of Minnesota, and a Hall of Fame 
linebacker with the Kansas City Chiefs. He, of course, had the unique distinction of becoming the first outside linebacker enshrined in the hall, creating footsteps that were followed by guys like Jack Ham, LT Lawrence Taylor, Derek Thomas, and Derek Brooks. He scored nine career touchdowns, served as the deep snapper on kicking downs, and was named to the all-time AFL team of the 1960s and the NFL's all-decade team for the 1970s. Now, with the Chiefs visiting Oakland this week, a renewal of one of the NFL's greatest rivalries, we thought the time was just about right to have Bobby visit us. So, Bobby Bell, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. You know, I thought maybe everybody forgot about me. It's been how many years? (laughs) Hey, Bobby, you retired after the 1974 season. That was 41 years ago. Do you still hate the Raiders? No, I don't hate them. You know, I don't hate them, really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. Why I don't believe laugh? you either. Why the laugh? No, no, no. It, it's just, uh, you know, as long as long as I don't have my uniform on and the Raiders don't have their uniform on, we okay. If they put them on, you know, it's a different story. You know, so over, over the period of the year, you know, we have a lot of fun talking to each other about the incidents that happened during the time we, we played against each other. You know, a lot of people used to get on us about it, you know. We could not really, for a long period of time, you know, hey, if the uh, fan would see us talking to a Raider, they would get really mad, man. We couldn't even say, hello, how you doing, and nothing like that. Man, that was, that's the way it was. You know, the thing about the, the Kansas City Raiders game, we, could, we both could have a bad year, but when it came to play uh, each other, it was like a Super Bowl game right there. It was there, you know. And, you, you know, and everybody knew that we were going to have about three or four fights <laughs> during the game, you know. It's, it's something wrong if we didn't have a fight, uh, you know, during the game. It, something's wrong with one of us, yeah. So. Well, yeah, well, as you know, uh, Bobby, the, uh, the most famous of those fights, of course, was the 1970 game where – uh, the first the first game between you two after the league merger and uh, late in the game you got a three point lead and Ben Davidson dives on top of Len Dawson and my friend Archell would say completely legal play uh, but he did slam his helmet into Dawson on the ground next thing you know Otis Taylor is trying to kill Ben Davidson and there's a riot on the field and all you guys are are uh, milling around and, and fighting now, now wait a minute you better get that straight all of us. I thought, I, thought me, I thought me and Art Shell were shaking hands over there. <laughs> that's right. Art, Art denies any wrongdoing himself. That's exactly right. <laughs> but why did it come to that so many times? I mean, there, there clearly was just an edge to it that, that you didn't see in, in a lot of other rivalries. Oh, I don't, I don't know. It was, it was, this is something about the Raiders, you know. I don't know why. I guess it was just that uh, Al Davidson, you know, he created that, I think. <laughs> yeah, I put it on Al. <laughs> Because, you know, I, I got you. Got to know that there's a lot of there was a lot of stories behind that. You know, Al was uh, he was leery of Coach Stram. You know, yeah. we would go out and play Oakland there, and we would not Stram would not let us go in the locker room until they uh, debriefed the locker room. <laughs> I mean, had Bobby Yarbrough go up there and pull the the uh, the, the roof off off inside the thing, look for speakers, look for the cameras and stuff like that. He thought he's a, they had uh, all kinds of stuff wires in there, you know. It sounds like uh, the Patriots of today. Uh, oh, yeah, something like that, you know. But you know, can you imagine this? One time we went out to play the Raiders, and it hadn't rained in two months out there in, L- in Oakland. <laughs> hadn't rained in two months. 
<laughs> and we get out there, the grass is high, and we got uh, at one end zone, it's sitting in two inches of water. <laughs> 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 Two inches of water. <laughs> the the Raiders call that gamesmanship. <laughs> We're with Hall of Fame linebacker Bobby Bell on the Talk of Fame Network. And, uh, Bobby, I'm going to take you back in time. 1969, uh, road to the Super Bowl, if you remember, and I know you do, one of the greatest playoff runs in history. First, you beat those Super Bowl champion New York Jets in New York. Then you beat those once-beaten Oakland Raiders, and we're talking about them here in Oakland. And if that weren't enough, you then wiped out the two-touchdown favorite Minnesota Vikings in Super Bowl IV, the final game played by an AFL team. Question, which of those victories was the most satisfying? Well, I, I think, you know, the, what, what really happened, it started. You know, uh, New York Jets was going to they, – they figured they was going back for the Super Bowl – and go two years in a row. They figured we went there, they're going to beat us. You know, we stopped them. We shut them down up in New York. And the thing is that people don't realize that the Raiders beat us twice that year. They beat uh, we they beat us out there, and they came to Kansas City and beat us. You know, and Coach Fram said, "Hey, wait a minute, these guys, we're going to go up and beat the Jets, and we're going to go out to the Raiders, and we're going to beat these guys." You know, and when we went out there. We didn't have it. We weren't. We wouldn't. I guess we weren't going to pass the ball that much. We was going to run the ball, and we had two tight ends, and that's what we did. We just going to say we we got a better defense, and we just going to go shut them down. And you know, I, people don't realize this, but uh, hey, we went out there and we shut them down. You know, and I think that was the big game right there. Once we beat them, and the the res, results after the game was that Coach Stram has found out. That Al Davis, I think, told the guys to bring these suitcases <laughs> to the game, and he said, "You know, we we don't beat them twice, so they we're gonna just knock them off. And guys, just be ready to go. We're just gonna go to New Orleans, right straight from the stadium here. It's going down. And bring your suitcases and all that stuff." <laughs> and Stram found out about it and said, "Hey, wait a minute, hold on. Let's. We got on the bus, and he wouldn't let the bus leave." And the Raiders, some of the guys are still in there with the suitcases. And when they finally walked out, you know, we were still sitting there. Coach Stram, that's what he wanted us to see, that they had their suitcases. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bobby let's, Bobby, let's go back to Super Bowl One. You were competitive with the Packers for a half before Greenway, Green Bay ran away in the second half. Then Lombardi said the Chiefs couldn't compete with any of the top teams in the NFL. How long did that defeat in Lombardi's comments linger with you? Well, you know, the thing is, they call us the Mickey Mouse little guys, Mickey Mouse League, you know. And we went out there. If you go back, you know, at the first half, you know, we was with the guys. But we knew that we could not turn the ball over to a veteran team like that. You can't make no mistake. You turn it over to a uh, – they, they capitalized on it. If you go, you go back and look at it, they did. We threw an uh, interception, and uh, Wood took it back. And we just uh, something else happened. We turned the ball over the second time. They out of both turnovers, they got 14 points off of it. And I think that was the game right there. We felt that we could play. We was a young team, and we felt we had a great defensive team, and uh, and uh, we we figured we could run on them also. But the thing is, though, we couldn't turn that ball over, and that's what we did. That's what happened. Is that at the second half that we turned that ball over twice to them? You know, we 
going back to the first Super Bowl, you know, a lot of people can't say that they played in the first Super Bowl. If you look back at it, you know, what I look back at is that we had 33 players on one east side of the team. That's 66 players that could say that they played in the first Super Bowl. You know, the thing is, nobody know, knew that the Super Bowl was going to be turned out like what it is now. That is one of the biggest games. The first Super Bowl, me and Buck were sitting on the sideline looking up at the stands and going, who in the heck's going to pay $12 for a ticket? You know, <laughs> last year, last year, you know, $12 for a ticket, and they didn't sell out. And last year, a club ticket was running like uh, $2,500 get a club yeah. ticket. That's face value. <laughs> and now, you know, people go to the Super Bowl. They want to go the week before the Super Bowl. That's where all the fun. They want to play Super Bowl golf and all that stuff. They got parties going on. And I remember the first Super Bowl we sitting at. The, we come come back to the hotel. And they have the press release and the stuff. People doing the press around the swimming pool in their shorts, in swimming suits. <laughs> I mean, that was like a Saturday before the game, and that was it. That was wow. it. You know, look at the first Super Bowl. They got two. They had five people out there for the corn toss. I bet you right. this year they have thir- they'll have thirty one for the corn toss. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Five guys. Yeah. Hey, yeah, they have. Two, we had two two uh, uh, captains, and Green Bay had two captains and one and one referee. He flipped the coin. Boom! All right, let's get it going, boy. Let's play. And hey, now look at it. Yeah, they might have thirty-one out there to just to toss the coin. <laughs> it's you not know? a football game anymore. It's an event. That's for it's sure. an event. Start. It started a week in advance <laughs> before. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, the rivalry between AF and NFL, you know, for those guys who were involved in it, like yourself, I know has gone on forever almost. Uh, but I'm wondering what you remember about 1967, the first time you played against an NFL team preseason game. Uh, you played the Chicago Bears. What was the feeling going into that game if you were an AFL player? Well, you got to go back. You know, the best thing ever happened to the NFL is that Lamar Hunt started the AFL. You know, and he created a – a situation where that uh, he gave the black players and the guys from the black university school came in to play ball and because there wasn't that many blacks playing in the NFL. And when that happened, you know, everybody tried to figure out why, why did, what happened? Where is the guys getting all these players from Grambling, Prairie View, A&T, Morgan, you know, Lanier was the first middle linebacker, you know, they wouldn't have it. And the thing is though, we could compete against anybody, and when we start, we had the, the fourth Super Bowl. We won it. You know, the Jets won the third. We came back and we put an icing on it. The, the fourth Super Bowl, and the next year, like you said, you know, we had the first in us, uh, the first game that we played against the National Football League was the exhibition against Green Bay, not Green Bay. I mean Chicago, and they came to Kansas City. I remember that, uh, you know. Oh my gosh, Gail Sayers was there. Them guys was sitting on the sideline, you know. We had to, to score every time they turn around we would score a touchdown. We had a we had our mascot was a war pen, a horse. Bob Johnson was run, run, riding it, you know. And Dick Buckler's told Gail Sayers that hey, we better hurry up and get this game over with, boy. They're going to kill that horse. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby, we're not going to throw the ball here, but like Gail Sayers, we've got to run. But thanks for the time, and thanks for the memories. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Bobby.
That was Hall of Fame linebacker Bobby Bell. When we return, we'll talk more about that Chiefs-Raiders rivalry with former Raiders tackle Art Shell. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by MyCleanPC.com. If your computer runs slowly, and whose computer doesn't, just go to MyCleanPC.com for a free diagnosis. And within minutes, you can download software to cure what may be ailing your PC. That's MyCleanPC.com. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, president of Quicken Loans. Call Quicken Loans now to see if you qualify for the government's Home Affordable Refinance Program, or HARP. And for six years in a row now, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction. And for the second year in a row, they've also ranked us highest in mortgage servicing. Call 800-QUICKEN or visit quickenloans.com. Visit jdpower.com for award information. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender, license in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Every single time you cough, a small miracle occurs. You create a cough cloud. Thousands of liquid droplets exit your mouth, shimmering like stars surfing on your breath. If you could see this cloud of saliva, it would be beautiful and until it landed on your co-worker Barbara's chin. Or don't get Barbara sick. Take Robitussin DM Max instead. It soothes and delivers fast, powerful cough relief. Robitussin DM Max, because it's never just a cough. Use as directed. Wendy's presents the story of a bacon cheeseburger that was more than just bacon. I'm ready, coach. Put me in. And who do you think you are, cheese? Bacon? All Gouda needed was a chance. Cheese finally has its day with Wendy's new Gouda bacon cheeseburger. Aged Gouda together with Swiss Gruyere fondue and the new bacon fondue fries. You did it, Gouda. No, we did it, bacon. At participating Wendy's for a limited time. Hi, I'm Bruce Fabrizio, inventor of Simple Green. Like you, I'm a big sports enthusiast, and I want my gear to shine like new. That's why it's clean with Simple Green the concentrated cleaner that's perfect for making your auto, RV, cycling, boating, and other sporting equipment look like new again. Try it today. If you're not 100% satisfied, I'll give you your money back. Visit us at simplegreen.com. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge. They are who we thought they were. Just another reminder, the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you each week by MyCleanPC. If your computer is running slowly, just log on to MyCleanPC.com. And within minutes, you can download software to clean up what may be slowing it down. That's MyCleanPC.com. And our next guest doesn't know about MyCleanPC, but he knows all sides of the Raiders-Chiefs rivalry because he was in the middle of it as a player, assistant coach, and head coach with the Silver and Black. That's Art Shell. And Art Shell, of course, is more than that. Not only a Hall of Fame left tackle for 15 years with the Raiders, he's also a groundbreaking pioneer. As a player, he was an eight-time Pro Bowl selection, a member of the 1970s All-Decade team, and an inductee to the Hall of Fame in 1989. Same year, of course, he took over as the first African-American coach in the NFL in 65 years. He went 12-4 and the following season when he was named NFL Coach of the Year and took the Raiders to the playoffs five times in six years before being fired by Al Davis, with Al later saying it was one of the biggest mistakes he ever made. Of course, that didn't stop Archell. He went on to become the highest-ranking African-American executive in the league when he was named Senior Vice President for Football Operations and Development in 2004. Now now we've got him. Archell, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. 
Well, Art, we're talking about the Raiders and the Chiefs, and uh, you and I obviously remember a lot about that. But uh, that rivalry, in my mind, was never more heated than uh, right after the uh, the merger on November 1st of 1970, which was the first time the Chiefs and Raiders had played once the league was merged. Uh, and you were in that game. I think it was your first year as a starter. And the Chiefs led 17-14 late in the game. You may recall Ben Davidson diving on the pile and slamming his helmet into Len Dawson's uh, helmet, and Otis Taylor lost his mind. And the next thing I know, there was a bench-clearing brawl. And so I'm wondering, where were you during that brawl, and what were you thinking about the Chiefs' rivalry uh, as a young first-year starter? Well, I was on the sideline watching. You know, it was, uh, of course, it was in Kansas City. And when I first came to the Raiders, I found out about the rivalry between the two teams, and it was huge. And, um, of course, it uh, seemed like all the players played with the edge and a chip on their shoulders. And when Ben tackled Dawson, and um, some of the Chiefs didn't like the way he tackled him, all oh, seemed like all hell broke loose. <laughs> and there was a lot of people out on the field, some people throwing punches and kicking and going on. But Ben came out of a smiling because that's just the way Ben was. He played with an edge, and he enjoyed that kind of stuff. Art, in 62, the then-Dallas Texans, soon-to-be Chiefs, traded a quarterback named Cotton Davidson to the Raiders for what became the first overall pick of the 63 AFL draft. The Chiefs took Buck Buchanan. If the Raiders had wow. made that pick, how would that have changed this rivalry? If we had taken Buck? Yes, sir. Wow. <laughs> you're talking about a great player. They had a lot. I always said they had one of the biggest defensive lines around as well as one of the biggest uh, – offensive lines around and you got a guy like Buck Buchanan who was just a fantastic 6'7", 275 pounds to move like a, a deer. I wish he was a Raider. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why Al Davis drafted Gene Upshaw. He drafted Upshaw because Buck Buchanan was sitting over there over over the left guard spot and he figured he needed somebody to compete against him. Up he was standing at 6'5", and uh, weighed about 265, and Buck, of course, was a little bit taller and a little bit heavier, but Gene um, was brought in to compete against him. That was the reason why, the big reason why they Raiders drafted Gene Upshaw. Pretty good decision. Yes, it was. <laughs> we're with former Raiders player and coach Art Shell on the Talk of Fame Network, and Art, we talking, we're talking about the Raiders-Chiefs rivalry, and it really, it seems like it really wasn't much of one in the 70s and 80s. I think the Raiders were something like 24-13-2, um, and two, something like that, against the Chiefs. Anyway, the question is, how much, if anything, did that take out of the rivalry? Uh, you mean about the, the way that the talent level they had? Well, the fact that the Raiders just dominated the Chiefs. Well, we had dominated. It was always competitive um... Uh, situation between the two organizations and the teams, of course, uh, playing on the field, and uh, it didn't take away from us. It just it, we just we felt good about being able to beat them during that time period. They were down as far as talent was concerned, but you know they weren't going to stay down too long. They would eventually come back and be a very competitive football team. Simply put, Art, if you could describe it, why do you think it is that those two teams really seem to hate each other? I mean, you, know, you have see rivalries all the time, but. You know, uh, Marty Schottenheimer, you know, who you, you also worked for, you know, lost his mind on Raider Week, putting signs all over the building. People said Bobby Bell <laughs> telling stories. You know, what was it that, that made it such a intense and some would say hate-filled rivalry? Winning. <laughs> when you win, there, there becomes a hatred for the team that wins and wins a lot. And, uh, of course, during the time after initially, you know, the Raiders and the Chiefs became this big rivalry, 
But to us, to the Raiders, we felt we had robbery everywhere we went. Every team we played was a robbery. But, of course, the Chiefs was number one along with San Diego. And But the Chiefs, um, for a lot of years, um, like you said, early in the 70s, in the mid-70s, you know, we were, we were winning and winning a lot of games during that time frame. Of course, then the hatreds were going to grow. Same thing with Denver. I remember playing against Tom um, Tom Jackson and Al Alzado. Those guys hated our guts. <laughs> but when you win, just like the Packers, when you win a lot of games, teams have a tendency not to like you. They get they grow to the point where they hate you. Not literally hate you, but they hate you, hate the way you play and where you win. Hey, Art, horror of horrors. You also coached as, a, as an assistant with the Chiefs in the mid to late 1990s. What was it like on the other side of the rivalry? <laughs> <laughs> he was a traitor. Uh, I, I appreciated Marty Schottenheimer, you know, for giving me the opportunity to coach with him. Uh, of course, I was let go by the Raiders and an opportunity opened up with Marty, and I accepted it. And I remember the first time we were getting ready to play the Raiders. We're sitting in the meeting room, team meeting, and um, Marty standing up there. Marty said, uh, Art, you have to forgive me for what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're going to hear some things that I say you may not like. So I'm saying right now, forgive me. <laughs> so, you know, then he went on his spiel about the Raiders and why why he felt we could beat the Raiders uh, and, and because of what the way the Raiders played. And we, as a Chiefs, we've had uh, success versus the Raiders because uh, he said it. He said, look, the Raiders crack at the end of the game. You stay with them the whole game. They will crack at the end. And there was a tendency at that time that that would happen. We played well for a while. And then when I was at the Raiders and then in the fourth quarter, Chiefs found a way to win. And so that was something that had to be overcome by everybody else. But that was a week. That was a radio week, man. And I'm telling you, it was hot and heavy in practice. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't help him put any of those signs up around the building, did you? <laughs> no, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. But I was preparing. I was preparing my group to get ready to play the Raiders uh, and beat the Raiders because I was now with the Kansas City Chiefs. Hey, Art, I want to take you back in time uh, to 1969, and we're on with Art Shell, former tackle and coach, of course, of the Oakland Raiders. But the, the final AFL championship game, and the Chiefs played in Oakland, and what happened was, of course, the Chiefs won in Oakland 17-7, to and a week yeah. later, they also won Super Bowl Four. Question for you. How yeah. bitter was that loss, and did both teams in the AFL championship game at that time believe the winner was going to win the Super Bowl? We believe that we were... We were better than the Chiefs, of course, and we believe that uh, we that we would win the Super Bowl, and and we rooted for the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl game after they beat us. Of course, um, I can't remember exactly what happened, but that was a big loss for us that hurt us tremendously. We lost to them because we had beaten them three times that year. We beaten them twice during the regular season and in preseason. And then you lose them in the championship game, and that was that was heartbreaking. We we it was tough to get over that, but we felt that uh, we were good enough to beat them and also win the Super Bowl. And just like we, my rookie year, and we in six days we played the Jets in the championship game. We thought we should have gone on and and won the first Super Bowl for the for the AFL. One thing I wanted to ask you, uh, Art, and you and I have talked about this uh, in the past. When you took over for Shanahan in 1989. 
It was a historic mm-hmm. moment. We got about 45 seconds to sure. what you have to say. But Al Davis had said that uh, uh, you didn't get the job because you were black. He got it because you were silver and black. Well, despite that, what, how heavy was the burden of history uh, on your shoulders? It was, it was heavy in the sense that I had an opportunity. Uh, and what's interesting about that, uh, when I became an assistant coach, of course, years before I told Al I wanted to become a coach, and he said, when you retire, we'll sit down and talk about it. And Tom Flores allowed me to evolve and be a part of his staff. But then when I became an assistant coach, I asked him, what does it take to become a head coach? And he didn't hesitate. He said, these are the things you need to do to become a head coach. Now, mind you, there weren't any uh, many, there weren't many black assistants in the league at that time. But moving forward, when he said that, and there was a burden, the burden was I had to be successful. And I said it to Terry Robisky, who became an offensive coordinator. I said, Terry, we have to make this work so that others get an opportunity to become uh, head coaches in this league at this level. And we went about doing that. Art, unfortunately, we got to go about closing this segment out. But <laughs> we want to thank you for joining well, us. Well, I, pre- I appreciate you guys having me on, and I had a nice time talking with you. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for sharing God. the memories of your career and also a remarkable rivalry. We'll have you on again, Art. Okay, anytime. (laughs) That was Hall of Famer Art Shell. When we return, we'll hear what's going on with the Denver Broncos with Jeff Legwald of ESPN.com. This is the Talk of Fame Network. Last week, Julie Carroll posted a status that read, just had the most delicious banana ever. It got two likes and four comments. Well, Julie Geico also wants to make a comment. What if we told you in as little as 15 minutes you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico? With those hundreds of dollars, we bet you can find another banana equally, if not more delicious, than the one you had last week. Hashtag go bananas. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Do you freak out every time you break out? Try Proactive. There's a huge reason Proactive is the number one acne treatment. It totally works. For just $19.95, you'll get Proactive and a rotating deep cleansing brush. A $45 value, yours free. For only $19.95, you're guaranteed to get clear and stay clear or your money back. Here's the number, 1-800-644-5944. Call now for a lifetime of beautiful skin. 1-800-644-5944. Football season is here, and you can catch all the games inside Public House at Luxor Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Come to the ultimate Vegas tailgate party presented by Luxor December 4th, 5th, and 6th. Football fans score big with drink and food specials all weekend long and a special appearance and chalk talk with the legendary Jerry Rice on Sunday the 6th. Luxor is the place to catch all your football action. Luxor.com, best rate guarantee. And catch the Talk of Fame show live at the Luxor on Sunday, December 6th. Hi, Tom Bodette. These days, the Internet is full of quizzes to find out what kind of fruit you are or what movie character you're most like or what state you belong in. Well, take it from this tangerine space cop who apparently belongs in Alaska. You won't find any quizzes at motel6.com. Just lots of clean, comfortable rooms for the lowest price of any national chain. Now, let's see. Am I more like a mild Swiss or a smoked Gouda? Well, I'm Tom Bodette from Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. Now, back to the Talk of Fame Network with Ron Borges, Rick Goslin, and your Hall of Fame host, Clark Judge. Well, the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Proactive, where for just $19.95, you can get Proactive and a deep rotating cleansing brush valued at $45. Better yet, you get clear and you stay clear or your money back. For more information, call 1 800 644 5944. That's 1 800 644 5944. 
Also want to remind you that we're going to be in Las Vegas this Sunday, December 6th at the Luxor Hotel. And so will Hall of Fame receiver Jerry Rice. Jerry's going to be doing his chalk talk at the Luxor's public house, talking about the Bears and the 49ers. Too bad he's not playing for the 49ers. Anyway, that's going to be at 9.30 to 8 to 11.30, not 8.30, 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. So stop by if you're in the neighborhood. We'd love to see you. And we, of course, always love to hear from our next guest, Hall of Fame voter Jeff Legwald of ESPN.com, whether we're in his neighborhood or not. And after what happened last weekend, Ron was in his neighborhood. We have some questions for him on a Denver Broncos team that is, yes, 2-0 without Peyton Manning. So, Leggy, you're on with Clark, Rick, and Ron, and I'm going to ask you, what asked these guys in the first hour, how far can this team go with Brock Osweiler, and is it a legitimate Super Bowl threat? Well, Clark, if they play without turnovers, they are a Super Bowl threat, and then they have a championship-worthy defense. And what's got them in trouble to this point was, you know, Manning was leading the league in interceptions, and even he said, you know, that's got to stop before his injury. So. It's all about that. If they just play it by the numbers, they are more than good enough to uh, give anybody a title-worthy game in, in any place they might have to play. And Because I, I think this is the first time this team has leaned defense in quite some time, and I always think that that, that travel, those things are, you know, stay with you in, in all weather and more situations. Not so much has to be perfect you know, for them to do well. Jeff is a guy who attended the school that is the cradle of middle linebackers. Do you believe defense wins championships, and can the NFL's best defense win a championship this season? Rick, they, they've they got everything they need. I mean, they there was plenty of talk that, the you know, the Patriots are shorthanded when they came to Denver and all that. I mean, the Broncos are missing six starters, including DeMarcus Ware and you know, for the second half of the game, they're missing a Pro Bowl safety in T.J. Ward. So I think they've already shown their depth. Uh, you know, they lead in sacks. They lead in pass defense. You know, they lead in total defense, and they're fourth in scoring defense. So, I mean, they've, they've got all the components. They can cover man, and they can rush the passer, and I think that always puts you uh, in the Super Bowl mix. You know, you've got edge pressure, and you can cover in space. So, you know, you don't have to blitz to do all the – things to affect the game and I think this it's certainly the best defense I've covered in my time covering the Broncos and, and it's one of the best defenses I've ever covered with any team I've, I've been around so they've got all the components and you know if they can stay reasonably healthy you know an injury to Von Miller would would sort of tip the card a little bit but but right now they've got all they need. Well, Leggy of course I was out there with you for the uh, Sunday night game in Denver against the Patriots and it was uh Fascinating to me the way Denver won, which was old-school football. They pounded the rock for 178 yards rushing, uh, won the game, obviously, on a run. You've already talked about their great defense. Uh, is that what they are? Are they an old-school team? Yeah, you know, Ron, they've turned back the clock, certainly. And I, I think even Osweiler's presence is even sort of old-school. You know, back when quarterbacks sat for multiple years before they played, he's kind of shown the benefits of that. So I think – this is the vision Gary Kubiak had, and it's the vision John Elway had when, when he hired Kubiak. This is what they wanted. They wanted a team that could play deep into the season, and they felt like this was the way to go because, frankly, they've seen the other movie. I mean, they, you know, 2013, they score more points than any team in league history, 
And, you know, they didn't close the deal. They lost the Super Bowl by 35 because their quarterback had a bad day. And I, I think they they wanted to have sort of other options. You know, you got to have something else. And, and this is the direction they went. And they've started to round in the form. You know, early in the year, there were a lot of questions about whether it could work or would work. But I think those are starting to quiet now as people see them get a run game going and what it can mean to the passing game. We're speaking with Hall of Fame voter Jeff Legwald of ESPN.com. We're talking Denver Broncos and Leggy. Uh, there were stories out there last week that said, or at least alleged, that Peyton Manning wants to play in 2016. A, do you believe him? And B, if you do, and he does want to play, what are his chances of playing in Denver next year? Well, Clark, I would say even he doesn't know if he wants to play in 2016. <laughs> I, I think right now any story that has – Anything about him next year is a fabrication because he he has not decided, and the people around him the most uh, know that, and it's just the way it is. He doesn't know even how this season's going to play out. I mean, he doesn't know when this foot injury is going to be healed enough for him to even practice, let alone playing a game. So there are an awful lot of hurdles to cross before next season's even in the conversation. And you know that said, if he did somehow want to play in 2016 I can't see him playing anywhere else given all the time I've talked to him about what a struggle it was for him to move you know here so I I, I can't see him doing that again so I think whatever happens will happen here Jeff what would you recommend to him I just think until the foot injury I don't think he can decide anything until he can play on this this foot or not I mean what everyone saw against Kansas City is is not how you want to, to see him go. Uh, you know, he couldn't compete. He physically couldn't compete. And, you know, what you saw was, you know, the worst game of his career. But, you know, I think he'd like to have another last game, you know, other than that one. But I think he also understands that he's in no way physically healthy right now to play. And that will ultimately be the – decision for him. He's always said if he thought he could help his team and he was healthy enough to do what he believed he could to enjoy the game, he would keep playing. And in the Kansas City game, he was doing neither one of those things. Hey, Leggy, you heard that whistle? That means we've got to go. But we're going to see in the playoffs, that is, if there's any room on that Denver bandwagon for us. <laughs> yeah, Climb aboard, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Leggy. Thanks, Leggy. See ya. That was Hall of Fame voter Jeff Legwald, VSBN.com. And this this is the two-minute drill where Rick asks, Ron and I answer, and Derek Burns, our producer, keeps the time. Goose, take it away. The Panthers have games left against the Saints, Giants, Buccaneers, and two with the Falcons. Who ends Carolina's run at perfection? G-men ask New England. They're giant killers. I think it's the Buccaneers. Believe in Jameis Winston. He's not a cigarette anymore. He's a football player. The once-surging Falcons suddenly find themselves in the throes of a four-game losing streak. Who gets the blame? Matt Ryan hasn't met a turnover he doesn't like. That's correct. Matty Ice has begun to melt. The once-slumping Chiefs find themselves steaming along on a five-game winning streak. Who gets the credit? Friend of the show, Andy Reid. He has his team a plus-14 in takeaways and turnovers over the last five games. I agree. Same guy who was getting all the blame. Now he gets all the credit. 
The Cowboys are one and five at home this season and five and nine over the last two years. Where can Jerry Jones buy a home field advantage for America's best stadium? Lambeau Field, because that is America's greatest stadium. Arkansas, that's his real home, isn't it, Goose? <laughs> Speaking of home fields, Tennessee is the only team still winless at home at 0-6. The Titans have games with Jacksonville and Houston left in Nashville. Is there a win anywhere in there? Yeah, there are for Jacksonville and Houston. <laughs> Agreed. They're on a roll. Never bet against the streak. <laughs> Matt Ryan, Jack Ryan, or Ryan Fitzpatrick? Rex Ryan, friend of the show. Hey, would you rather be called Matty Ice or the Amish Rifle? There's only <laughs> one Ryan Fitzpatrick. Which NFL player would make the best political candidate and why? J.J. Watt, because he can play both ends against the middle. Tom Brady, you can't beat that dimple and that disingenuous smile. Oh, please. Stack your Hall of Fame wide receiver semifinalists in order. Bruce Harrison, Holt, and Owens. Harrison, Bruce, and Holt. T.O.? Yeah, he's off my Hall of Fame radar. Harrison, Owens, Bruce, and Holt. I'm glad Clark isn't scouting players for me. Who is it? Ezekiel Ansa, and why does he lead the NFC in sacks? You mean Ziggy? Second cousin, twice removed, of Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> he's the guy who set Pop Warner football back a thousand years. He didn't start playing until he got from Ghana to BYU. Now look at him. <laughs> We'd like to thank Tony Baselli, Bobby Bell, and Jeff Lagwell for joining us, Derek Burns for producing us, and you for listening to us. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website, talkoffamenetwork.com, or check us out on iTunes. Otherwise, tune into this station at this time and on this day next week. We'll look for you then. Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Proactive. For just $19.95, you can get Proactive and a rotating deep cleansing brush valued at $45. But here's the best news. You get clear and stay clear or your money back. Call one 800 644-5944. That's 1-800-644-5944. We're also brought to you, of course, by GEICO. That's GEICO, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. Wendy's presents the story of a bacon cheeseburger that was more than just bacon. I'm ready, coach. Put me in. And who do you think you are, cheese? Bacon? Old Gouda needed was a chance. Cheese finally has its day with Wendy's new Gouda Bacon Cheeseburger. Aged Gouda together with Swiss Gruyere Fondue and the new Bacon Fondue Fries. You did it, Gouda! No, we did it, Bacon. At participating Wendy's for a limited time. Every single time you cough, a small miracle occurs. You create a cough cloud. Thousands of liquid droplets exit your mouth, shimmering like stars surfing on your breath. If you could see this cloud of saliva, it would be beautiful until it Landed on your co-worker Barbara's chin. Or don't get Barbara sick. Take Robitussin DM Max instead. It soothes and delivers fast, powerful cough relief. Robitussin DM Max, because it's never just a cough. Use as directed.